welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset. It's a special pod reaction to the opening Buttersloe Cup encounter last night between the All Blacks and the Wallabies. 133-25 by New Zealand, extending that uh, amazing run at Eden Park for another game. I'm joined all the way from his Tokyo hotel on the final day of the Olympic Games by Christy Doran, mate. Um, thanks for squeezing us in today. We know you've been flat out over there enjoying yourself, um, watching the world's best across the a variety of sports. That's what's been a, a fantastic games and certainly given us folk back here in Sydney uh, something to to keep us occupied during this this ongoing lockdown, which has just ticked over into week number seven. Um, but let's get cracking into last night's game. Uh, you found a way to watch it over there, mate. Um, let's go right back to kickoff. And certainly the first half, I think what we saw was two teams pretty rusty, um, showing the signs of not having played for, for three weeks, as was the case from the the final games against uh, Fiji and France, respectively, for the All Blacks and, and the Wallabies. They both took a little bit of time to, to get going. Uh, but once the All Blacks clicked into gear, they certainly pulled away from the Wallabies pretty quickly. Um, I want to start with alliance, Christy, because the Wallabies enjoyed a, a nice little early stretch of possession, got a few early penalties from referee uh, Paul Williams, um, but just couldn't nail the set piece. Uh, they were under a fair bit of pressure, it must be said, by that superb veteran duo of... Sam Whitelock and Brady Retallick, the big returning uh, figure in that All Black side. Uh, they were able to upset that and really take away any chance the Wallabies had to assert a bit of early momentum and uh, get some scoreboard pressure. Yeah, well, one of the interesting things was Brady Retallick playing his first Bledisloe in quite a few years because he was injured in the lead up to the World Cup in 2019, sabbatical last year. And then you bring back this towering figure. And here we are trying to think about second rowers that we could bring back to Australian rugby like the Skeltons and the Arnolds and then you see a Retallick come back the jaws of New Zealand rugby wow but you're, you're right and it was it was something that we've seen so often if I remember a test match in Sydney it might have been 2017 or 18 and and it was tight in the opening half New Zealand took uh, scored in the in the last minute before half time and up until that point Australia had struggled with the lineouts, and it's often been an Achilles heel for for the Wallabies, um, particularly against New Zealand matches. And here we are losing really the first four or five lineouts, not being able to get any clean ball from it. And consequently, it means that guys in the outside channels are probably trying to overplay their hands when they get a bit of it because they've been starved for so long. It was an unfortunate start, um, but. If, if you think about where the Wallabies came from, it was 6 0. Australia schools, obviously, New Zealand hit back. Um, but but it, it's, it's a momentum killer and it doesn't allow you to work your way into the game. And that's what we saw against France. Australian rugby always having, and the Wallabies having to fight their way back, which they did to an extent. But it's a long way to try to keep the momentum, not just for 10 to 20 minute periods, but for 40 into 60 minutes, which is what you need against New Zealand. Yeah, it's an ongoing problem, isn't it? And something certainly I isolated in, in my preview for, for ESPN. Um, I think it was uh, 3 and 15, 3 10, and, and maybe 6 and 15 off the top of my head. Those three early deficits they conceded to France um, last month and, and again last night, um, as you say, uh, 9 9 8 there, um, down 9 0 earlier, then got the try and uh, after the penalty um, from Lolicio. Uh, and then they just gift that. 
that uh, that try to the All Blacks or the opportunity to New Zealand um, just before half time there when Michael Hooper um, put his hand up after the gap after the game and said, "Look, absolutely my fault." Um, in front of the kicker there on what was otherwise a pretty good exit from Len Ikatow. And just as a side note to that, I love the fact that we've got two guys in the back line who've got left foot options um, in that centre pairing. Now, they're, they're young and we've spoken about them. We might talk about that a little bit later. But that was just a huge turning point in that first half. You've done all the hard work to get back into the game, reducing the deficit like we mentioned there from playing from behind. Um, and a simple error like that, gives the All Blacks one final opportunity, kick to the corner. Yes, they managed to defuse the line-out drive, but when you've got a team that's so ruthless and, and executing from close range, they're always going to be at long odds there, the Wallabies, to to keep them out. It was just a, a real brutal finish to that first half and then only um, compounded by the intercept that, that Hunter Paisami threw after the break. Now, um, the game was gone then in the second half, um, but you just feel that having worked so hard to get back into the game and and setting that up, that imagine if this Wallabies team could actually start so much better um, and capitalise on that that early possession that they did have and perhaps play from in front for the for first time in a while. That would be a nice sight. It's almost like they need to play 20 minutes at the back in the backyard yeah. before getting onto the onto the field. They're, they're often chasing their tail. On the, on the kickers, yeah, Lenny Hickertow twice, we saw a real raking kick yeah. in the backfield off his left. And But unfortunately, and this is how tight rugby games can be, both of those two kicks were really well taken by Damien McKenzie, the second of which he had to pass back to himself. Pop it up in the air, yep. Oh, yeah. But it's it's half a metre away from being perfect, from being a 50-metre exit. Um, but unfortunately, they play on, and you can see the penalty one phase later, and then the second one with Michael Hooper. But, yeah, we, we know how dangerous New Zealand rugby is in that last five minutes before halftime. And it was an interesting decision and certainly on, upon reflection and uh, Sam Whitelock initially looked like he was shaping up to go point to the sticks, but he, but he does indeed go to the corner and they score. It was a good piece of captaincy. And on that captaincy, oh, I, I, I support Michael Hooper. I think there's been a refreshing change of him this year, but I still think there was one or two decisions last night, like the first decision to go for touch when you'd already lost a line out, when you kicked to the corner. Um, and then later, to begin the second half, I know that you always want to start with some early momentum, some early points, but I thought this is a tough kick for a, a guy who isn't a, isn't a Dan Bigger, isn't a Richie Mwanga, I don't no. think, under the pressure to kick, uh, to land a goal from, from halfway in the opening minutes, I thought was tough. And that was always just going to probably eat away a little bit at, no, a lot of CEO's confidence. 12 points he ends up leaving out there. Um, if he lands those early points, it just allows everyone to feel a bit more comfortable out there. And I don't think when, when Hunter Pais Army throws that cutout pass, the Wallabies aren't out of the match at that point in time. They're certainly out of it straight after. But they're going for that because they realise they need another try. Probably a little bit of immaturity there. They built nine phases or so. Um, they looked a little bit comfortable and I was almost about to tweet out going, well, this is impressive because to get 10 rucks, to get 10 phases against New Zealand um, when you're in a pressured situation is good. It showed at the time maturity, it showed some composure and it was just building. They were getting over the game line, game line. You work towards a penalty and then you probably throw that ball. Unfortunately, 
Richie Moanga, like yeah, that was that was brilliant piece of rugby, and we saw that happen a few years ago. And I think you were there, Sammy, with me at Eden Park when the long night. Yeah, picked up the scraps that a ball that just went slightly behind. I think it was Reese Hodge. Yep. Uh, and, he, and he runs 60 metres to score. It just brought back some painful memories from that. <laughs> Let's talk uh, a little bit more about Lollasia. Now, it's absolutely you're the goal kicker and you've got to be making more shots. Um, you've got to be at test level kicking, you know, north of 80%. You want closer to 90, don't you? We know how close how fine the margins are at this level and, and you absolutely have to, you know, be kicking in that percentage rate to, to win big games at Test footy. There's no doubt about that. Um, he'll he'll take a few days to, I'm sure, let that sting and then pick himself up again. And got to remember, this is a guy who, who missed just one shot against France in, in three tests. So he's not a bad goal kicker. The improvement in his game from last year, from the tee, has been um, really, really, really strong. Last night, a bad night, clearly. But... You have to say that otherwise, the game the Wallabies played, certainly in their attack, there was a nice mix to it. They scored off a set piece, a long ball throw. Um, the kick in behind from Lollaseva for Banks' try. Now, we'll mention that the All Blacks probably dipped in energy with the, the game beyond doubt at that point. But there was enough promising signs in the way that the Wallabies were playing the game, certainly from those first couple of tests against France, when, as you and I have spoken about, the the penchant for going out the back in those wider channels um, was just uh, about their only go-to. Now, I think there's development there. I think there's growth in that part of their game. Um, but they've just got to be a little bit more clinical in your execution, as you say, and, and perhaps be just that little bit more patient. Um, they had a chance last night to do that. I thought Paul Williams refreshingly almost wasn't as fierce on his refereeing at the breakdown as some other refs had been. There was a couple of few occasions for both sides, I thought, where the penalty could have been awarded for holding on, but he probably gave the ball carrier just that extra little split second. Um, there were plenty of penalties aside from that, mind you, but it allowed the game to flow from that perspective. Um, so positive signs there for, from what Noah did, I think, with ball in hand and how they, how they controlled the game when they did build into it there, particularly in that second half. Yeah, and the double-edged sword there is... It's is it is it too little, too late when that's happening? When we're seeing those bits of polish shine through, we, that was a that was a great piece of rugby there from the the kick behind for Tom Banks to kick ahead for himself. Um, you know the thing that pleased me most about Tom Banks was that the after he scored the two tries, he actually then started to run the ball with conviction. Um, that that's almost the more of the concern for me. I think Lola Cio, yeah, there was almost a bit of Quade Cooper in the way that he strikes the ball as well from the kicking tee. Um, often there's just a little bit of movement yep. uh, with the with the fade that he goes for. Unfortunately, that first one it just held its line on the on the right edge, and it reminded me of of Christian Lalefano's night at Eden Park a couple of years ago when he also missed an early one from a very very similar position. We know, and Australian rugby fans, um, reporters on the game know that it's been a long, long time since the Wallabies had an absolute gun goal kicker, someone that you can thank for, you know, 90%. Uh, if, if indeed we've ever had that one, we've, we might have had them for a year or two, and Matt Burke was probably the last who was Mr. Reliable. But it's a real concern, and it's one of the reasons why I think people like Ryan Lonigan will come into the frame in the years to come because the more that he plays the Brumbies, the more that people recognise that he's a 95% goal kicker. 
you start to realise, well, these points that you just can't leave out there. Um, we know that we know that Dave Rennie was very impressed by Ryan Lonigan throughout his camp. They've probably over exceeded expectations too. Um, back on the here and the now, I still think you'll see Lolasio every day of the week. You'll be you'll be playing next week. You'll be starting. After that point in time, you still probably continue with him because if 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 indeed the Wallabies lose that second Bledisloe, I don't think you throw the toys out the cot. Then you know this yeah. is the, the guy who's the future. He's twenty one. Um, a, a big question remains you know, around Tom Banks, still not quite owning the the fullback, the number fifteen jersey. Um, but but who is there to replace him for the time being? Perhaps Reese Hodge. Um, is an answer. Um, I don't. I, I've got my doubts whether Reese Hodge is 100% fit. Quite possibly, because it was a surprise to not see him start off the back of a really strong 75, 78-minute performance against France in the third test. Perhaps, perhaps something has happened there. We we didn't really see him last night either. Um, so so these are questions that you're going to have to consider going into that that, that second bloodslide for sure. What about Christy, uh, the All Blacks? They, as we said earlier, they took a little bit of time to, to get going and, and certainly in the first 15 or 20 minutes, they looked like a, a team that were a few of their uh, their boys were meeting each other for the first time. Um, there was a couple of forward passes there and we know the one that um, the Wallabies dodged a bullet with that fantastic long-range try that was brought back correctly for that forward pass from, from Aaron Smith. But there was one or two others in the first half there, um, drop ball, passes going behind, they were pretty rusty, um, and uh, we know that they certainly found their groove for that kind of, I guess, the 45-minute through to about the 60-minute mark when there was the three tries in, in 14 minutes, as was the case last year in in Bledisloe, uh, number two there in Auckland, where um, Caleb Clark did some real damage, and and uh, the All Blacks went from, I think, 10-7 at halftime to 27-7 and, and game-set match, as was the case last night. Now, that's, I guess, two instances of just little short Wallabies fade-outs and just how ruthless the All Blacks can be and going on to, to put the game away. Now, they'll go up a level next week and the big question will be is whether the Wallabies can go with them. Um, I thought clearly uh, Brady Retallick coming back in was um, he, he was really just the engine in that forward pack, isn't he? Sevilla was strong. Um, you know, uh, Dalton Papali was a, was a menace around the paddock and and then their, their back line, um, David Harvey looks to have found a real home there at number 12 as well. Yeah, yeah, I thought look, the, the key the key was the All Blacks really owning that 10-15 minute period. And they did that because they got really good quick ball, but they 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 smashed the middle of the of the park. It was the first time they really got some ascendancy in that area. Um so yeah, that they were they were rusty and it reminded me of that that Wellington performance last year. And as you just made mention, whether or not what the Wallabies can lift a level as well they'll have to otherwise and if, if they play anything like they did i think last night they'll struggle and they'll beaten not they'll be beaten not just by eight points but they'll be beaten by many many tries you would think um brody retallick is still the talisman isn't he he's he's the guy that that you look around the best international sides and you think of the Mario Tojas, you think of the even Mets, Beths, um, the, the Lou Diegas. Um, I, I still think that Australia is, is, is missing a bit in the type five. And, and, and it might almost go, do, do you bring in Taniela Tupo again? It's, it's that real um, 
it's such a big decision how they play Taniella because he only played 20 odd minutes last night, 24 minutes. So I don't think it was enough. No. Uh, even though Alan Alatol was building into the game. Going back to the All Blacks, I think uh, the, the scary prospect is that, that Australia was bringing on, and no disrespect to these guys, but Jake Gordon, uh, Matt Tamuas, who, uh, um, the Reese Hodges, they've got the, the Barrett brothers that they're bringing on. You know, Bowden Barrett, two-time World Player of the Year. Like, that's a scary prospect to be bringing on. Um, I don't think their type five was was as impressive as it usually would, but you'd also be bringing on Dane Coles, generally speaking, in the second half. It wasn't there last night. So th- they've got a lot of area of growth in themselves. David Havili does look like he's got time up his sleeve when he when he when he runs when he plays at inside centre, but this is a still a guy that's pretty much playing his first season at, at, no, at inside yep. centre in their second five. So oh, he he was good without being outstanding, I think, but he was able to shine particularly in that second half at stages because he got some quick ball with the meters that they got the ascendancy that they got over the game line. From an Australian perspective, you need to see more, I think, out of Rob Valentini and, and Harry Wilson. We saw one period after a line-out where the two of them took back-to-back hits, and that was something that you go, okay, this is good because these are your two power runners. But we also saw just a couple of def- uh, defensive deficiency probably from, from Harry Wilson where, thankfully for the try that was called back from an Australian perspective, we saw Wilson dart out of the line, leave Noel CEO a meter, and that's where defence coaches don't like it when the whole side doesn't go together and you get someone that does break that and run out because for a bloke who can step, beat a guy on a phone box like Ricky Moonga can, um, we, we saw a break that probably should have ended up in a, in a try. What do you think the Wallabies should do um, in terms of, of changes? You mentioned Tupu there. It's it's the million-dollar question. We've spoken about it probably five or 16 times on this podcast. I interviewed Sakopi Kepu during the week. Um, he said he loves him off the bench. I agree with you. I think he should have been on earlier. Um, uh, he needs to be playing minimum 35 minutes for mine. So perhaps if he is going to come off the bench, you give Alan, say to Alan at halftime, I want five of your best, and then I'm going to hook you. And then Thor comes on and plays the remaining 35 Um Locke, uh, did you see enough out of Darcy Swain? Uh, could Isaac Ryder potentially come in? Matt Phillip was busy when he came on, but probably isn't going to be a guy who's going to be a real momentum shifter for you. Uh, Izzy Nicerani, does he come back into calculations? Dave Rennie said last week that Harry was always going to start there at number eight. Um, I think Lockie Swinton will also be close to recovering from that ankle injury. And and let's say, um, you know, you keep Hunter at 12. Is Tamur an option there? Um and then the Tom Banks conundrum at the back, we know Marika will probably in all likelihood come back in, but my God, could you really drop Andrew Kellaway after that game last night? Could there be a reshuffle in that back three that perhaps sees, you know, Jordan Patea go to 15, as is this plan that we keep hearing so much about, um, perhaps bringing the longer term into the shorter term? I think less is more on this this occasion. Uh, the, the one bloke who's left out there who I'm very impressed and excited by, I, I look at the, the, the type five and I go, who are the ball runners at the moment? Who's someone who can get you over the game line in the first half? And I don't think that Darcy Swain can. Lucan potentially can, but I think when it's, when it's more open, he's more effective in the outside channels. Uh, he runs so high with his, with his body height that he often gets pushed back a little bit. Um, 
Alan Alatoa is a good ball runner at a super rugby level, but I don't think that he's been encouraged to, to use that ball running and to keep it tighter at an international level. Um, Brandon Payne or most we know can be effective, but he's often out on the, the wing too. Uh, and then and then James Slipper can be effective, but I don't think too, once again, it's being encouraged to play a, a more of a type five brand game. Someone who I think could be effective that could give you a little bit of what Tanella is giving is Angus Bell. I think this guy is going to be an extremely exciting player for the future. He's been brilliant every test off the bench thus far. Do you keep Tanella and then you go one of them to, to offer you some more ball running capabilities? It is a, it's an exciting thing to see both of them come off in the second half because they're giving so much. But, but I think what Australia, the Wallabies need more ball runners, I think, in the forward pack, particularly in the first half. So that, that's maybe a way that you work around it. I don't think it will happen. They've got a lot of faith in James Slipper. He's the vice captain of the side. Lockie Swinton is someone I think that they will think about starting if he's fit. That's the reason why he missed the first test in the first place. Um, even though I'm a big Rob Valentini fan, I think that the spark, the fear that he can put the um, Lockie Swinton out in the, on the field with both the ball and without it is something that Dave Rennie really, really wants. Fraser McWright had a had a good 20-minute cameo coming yeah. off. Um, probably added to the tempo that was being lifted there. And, and that's the sort of – that's what he offers. He's, that, he's probably the best uh, ball-running seven in the country. Um, and, and we know that he adds another on-board threat. But I don't think that you can necessarily carry him if you're bringing in Swinton. It's probably one or the other. Um, and Valentini comes off the bench perhaps um, – I don't think you, you start Jordan Pattaya at 15 yet. I, I've been pushing for him to go there for a while, but when he hasn't played in that position for a long, long time, I think it's a tough thing in just his second match in four months to do that. Um, I, I would still allow him to, to build perhaps on the wing um, if you're not going to start him in, in that 23 jersey because I think he still can offer a lot. We just didn't see enough of him on, on Saturday night. As, as for any other positional changes, maybe Nick White, if he's fit, that yeah. you bring him off the bench perhaps or you start him. He's, he's a guy who can manipulate the field very well, the experience, his box kicking. Um, but I think Tate played pretty well last night. So. Yeah. I agree, man. I, probably the only thing that, that stood out for me in Tate's game, and it led to, I think, the Havili try, was the scrum penalty there. The Wallabies had the ball at the back. I don't know if there was a miscommunication with, with Wilson and Tate, but Tate needed to clear that ball. There was a signal from Paul Williams, you're not going anywhere, move it. Uh, he didn't move it or Harry didn't move it, and they were penalised when uh, I think it was... Um, uh, would have been on the, the tight head side there, uh, probably before, while Alan was still on there, um, went to ground and uh, the All Blacks got a penalty, booted downfield, and and that was right when they had the momentum behind them, strung some phases together and and scored. Um, and that was just a, another nail in the in the proverbial coffin. Um, but apart from that, you know, I agree. I thought Tate was pretty good. He was busy. I don't remember, um, you know, a pass that was too wide of the mark on any particular occasion that really stood out. Um, there was a quick tap that um, there uh, in the second half as well, when he, he backed himself to go and, and pinched a few more meters. So yeah, but is it that thing you bring on Nick White, um, just the accuracy um, and that booming boot that he has got, is he a guy that if Noah's having a, 
a shaky start next week can perhaps step up and, and take a shot at goal as well. So he just he brings those little different things, and I guess that they'll be the the kind of little facets that Dave Rennie and um, his fellow uh, Wallaby coaches will, will weigh up during the week. Um, Christy, he was this a a step back? Was it? It certainly wasn't a step forward for this Wallabies group, but was it a a step back, or was it just a little halt, perhaps in the the hopeful direction that we see this, that I think a lot of us can see this team has got it in a, in, a, in the future? Um, or do you believe that, uh, given the how the game went away from them so quickly there in the second half, that this was in fact um, a regressing uh, movement from that uh, that two one series against France? Just before before you go, I, I get there. I, I think that the big decision, and you touched on Marika Korobetti, what do you do with Marika Korobetti? I think from a, a cultural perspective, it would tough, take a tough stance to go, no, Andrew Kelloway played really well, yep. took the spot. However, I, I do also think this is a guy that has given his everything to the Australian jersey. Um, yes, he's heading overseas soon, but I think he's probably a bloke that you make an exception for and you bring him back because he can he's he's a very, very good international winger. Moving forward, was it a step forward or a step back? I still think it is roughly where this side is. I don't think that they're they're a top five nation yep. at the moment. Um, I think that they have the potential to get there, these guys, but you need a lot of them playing together for a long, long time. And that's why I don't think there should be mass changes because we're we're, we're getting what we expect. Guys that haven't played much rugby together. Yes, they've played three test matches, but we know from things talking to people like Ben Down, Cohesion, the Queensland State of Origin side, combinations take years. And those combinations from the Maroons' perspective, a lot of them were built through guys playing young junior level football together, taking it through to the Melbourne Storm and then going on to the Queensland Maroons. We're yet to see two, three, four years of these guys playing together. This is really their second season. And then even for people like Lenny Ikatow, it's their first season at the international standard. It's going to take a little while when you're playing arguably the best side in the world. You know, they didn't win the World Cup in 2019, but we know that they're there, thereabouts. I don't know if this side will ever be able to get there, though, without world-class locks. And that is why it is so important, I think, to get someone back um, who can own the set piece that can push so much harder at the, at the back of the scrum um, it, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens around the locks because I still don't think Matt Phillips a point of difference um, and, and until you get that I don't think we're going to be able to see a Wallaby side really take the game by the scruff of the neck against a big powerful team we, we see what England, we see what the, the Springboks do and, and all the strength and the muscle that they have there. Um, it's, it's a worrying sign going forward because it's often, it's routinely the same issues. But when you can't keep your, your type five forwards, particularly in the second row, it makes it so awfully difficult for the rest of the team to come together. Absolutely. I've got one last note here on my, uh, my sheet, Christy. Uh, you mentioned the locks there. We mentioned Brady Retallick earlier. There was uh, a particular off-the-ball incident that certainly um, spread pretty quickly to, to social media in that first half via Twitter. Um, a shot in from the side on Michael Hooper, who'd been told to leave the ball alone at the ruck by by Williams, referee Paul Williams, puts his hands up and Retallick still, must be said, probably already in the motion before Hooper's hands go up, but still pinged him from the side, 
um, pretty much off the ball, a pretty unnecessary shot. Worthy of a penalty probably at that point and, and nothing more? I think so, but it was very close to a yellow card, wasn't it? It was. I picked it up straight away and it was, I think, Sean Maloney on, on commentary uh, spoke about it just, just moments later. This was a, a bit of a New Zealand sort of thing that you've seen. These guys, uh, they often push the boundaries and I think that they did on that occasion. Yeah. Uh, we saw Darcy Swain try to do that throughout Super Rugby at one or, points, one or two points in time where you, you put a bit more pressure on the kicker and you, you take him out almost. It was a cheap shot, undoubtedly, but it's a, a shot that shouldn't surprise anyone. Whether the, the reason why I think it was probably just a penalty was because there wasn't any high contact. He did use his arms uh, and he did drop his body height to, to quite a low level for a bloke who's standing over two metres in, in height. It was something that was missed, and I think that if if uh, th- that that's where probably the TMO should probably go, maybe check on that. But at the yeah. same time, no one was hurt, no one was injured. Um, it wasn't any contact to the head. Maybe that is actually something that we go. Well, do we want the nitpicking um, from 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 referees? Once again, it will come back down to consistency, though. If that occurs in the second test, and and a wallaby is pinged for it, will they indeed be? or will it be allowed to go? And often it won't be allowed to go because it will be a different referee and they might have been told to watch out for these things. So that that's 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 the issues at play here with world rugby and with, with the officiating. But that's not the reason why the world is lost. And, and we don't want to go down a Razzie Erasmus kind of, you know, 45 minutes spew and I'm in a hotel now and, and I, I think that Razzie was in a hotel when he did that, his, uh, his 50 minute op-ed. So... Play on, I think. Mate, uh, I'm sure you get a, a few subscribers for the Christy Dora and uh, Referee Complaints YouTube channel. And, of course, uh, the Springboks finishing the d- job uh, over the Lions there, 2-1 overnight. I haven't decided whether I'll go and watch that game as yet. Uh, I managed to avoid last week after getting up for the first one and, and wishing I, I hadn't uh, ruined or given up uh, two hours of, of sleep for that first week. Um, so that's a, a, a question for me to ponder for the rest of the day. Uh, mate, really appreciate you jumping on from, from Tokyo today. Uh, I hope you've had a fantastic time over there. It's been great. Certainly watching on um, back in Australia, um, the great games for the Aussies and certainly the, the Kiwis as well have had a, have had a fine Olympics um, from, a, from a much smaller team. So great work over there. Uh, safe travels home and uh, we look forward to the, the second test next week.